Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Here we are. Thanks, everybody, for joining me for another episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. Uh, I think we're all, we're all coming from all over from parts of the world today to, to talk about the same topic, and uh, that's it's cloud security and, and where we are and kind of the future of that. I think uh, it's going to be super exciting conversation. Um, obviously, the, the cloud, people were afraid to use the cloud years ago, right? Now everything is the cloud, and the cloud has clouds and, and containers and all kinds of stuff in it, which I'm sure we'll touch on. A lot of possibilities, um, but going into it uh, without some thought uh, can put you in, in jeopardy. And the whole point of redefining cybersecurity, as uh, my regular listeners know, is to help practitioners and their leaders kind of do what's what's right, I'll say, or what's what's possible to uh, to grow the business with technology, uh, but in a safe way. And with all kinds of technology and processes and frameworks and everything coming at you from all different angles, that can be difficult sometimes. So uh, the show is about bringing people together who know more than I do <laughs> about, about a topic. And we're getting into uh, cloud security today. I'm, I'm thrilled to have Ashish Rajan and Taylor Hersam on. Thanks, guys, for, for joining me. No problem. Yeah, Great to be here. Excited. Here we are. Here we are. So let's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to whip out my first joke, which is even, even if we just looked at your podcast, podcast, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like a security leader. I feel like a CISO looking at all the things coming at me and I have to build a cloud security program in 45 minutes. That's what I feel like this conversation, <laughs> conversation is going to be like. Just, I was looking through your podcast, all those topics and all the people you've spoken with, even just that would be too much to cram into 
45 minutes here and come out with something meaningful that I could turn into a project or a program. Mm -hmm. That said, you have to start somewhere and there are points within that. But uh, before we get into any of that, I want to hear a bit about uh, each of you. Um, I love meeting new people and thrilled to have you both on. Uh, Sheesh, tell us about uh, you, your role, tell us about your podcast, and uh, then we'll move over to Taylor. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, really awesome that we could be here as well and talk about cloud. Um, so my name is Ashish, and I've been in the cybersecurity space for a little over 15 years, with the last seven or eight spent primarily in the cloud space. My last role was of a CISO for a tech company. Uh, and I say last role because as of the last six months, I've moved into the whole Cloud Security Podcast. Yes, it's literally called Cloud Security Podcast. Uh, in, uh, into a full-time place. I'm a host over there. And we've been doing uh, cloud security more often. And hence, Sean, to your point, there's so much in the cloud security as a subset that you can basically spend. I've been spending three years in it. So I guess there's, there's a lot more to cover still. Uh, but I definitely want to call out the fact that it doesn't have to be that long. It's just that um, we are all trying to understand cloud in our own way and that's kind of where the time it takes to come from but i mean i, I definitely feel that um what you said earlier about cloud being a scary place for a lot of people it is still a scary place for a lot of people if they don't make the right call but there are definitely there is definitely a light at the end of the tunnel so uh, that's me yeah Don, I a lot of progress have... I wish you would have let me go go first because I could have set the bar low. Ashish is way better than me. Um, oh, no. Try oh, to no. follow Come it on. up. Hur hurdle this one. Leapfrog him. <laughs> awesome background, Ashish. Obviously, you know I, I have a ton of respect for you. So uh, Taylor Hurston, founder of a company called Eden Data. We've created essentially a security teams on subscription for cloud-based organizations. So we work in security, compliance, and privacy, taking over a lot of the leadership and governance of said programs for startups, scale-ups, anybody based in the cloud trying to uh, build a security program for the first time or maintain one. Um, and uh, it's been a been a cool journey. So uh, sold my soul to Deloitte. Was there for a number of years. Uh, I mean that in the nicest way possible. If you're listening and you had employed <laughs> me previously, but uh, and um, I was a CISO as well, and then uh, transitioned into starting Eden Data. Yeah, I love it. Then I mean, yeah, one can one can look at a, a one of the big four, or whatever, and and say, eh, what, what, did, what did you do there? But you get you get so much experience so many different views of different programs and different cultures and different technologies and drivers of different business outcomes which all of that plays a role in how you actually deliver security right it's not there's no one size fits all security for all that stuff so having that experience is huge i want to um it's not on the list of stuff we talked about or haven't i have on the list to talk about but I feel it's important to maybe start here. And the, the idea of what is the cloud? Um, is it a cloud service provider where you're building your own stuff? Is it uh, an Office 365 or a GCP or is it Azure? Is it is it email? I mean, there's so much. Is it containers? <laughs> is it <laughs> Kubernetes? What? Someone else's container, maybe? <laughs> can it, yeah, exactly. Can uh, I think it's important maybe to kind of paint a picture for folks of all the all the elements that we're talking about here, because um, even a private cloud on-prem is still 
cloud, right? So yeah. I don't know who wants to maybe start painting painting that picture, and then we're gonna get into some fun stuff like Chat GTP and and uh, sounds, see sounds good. Uh, tell you, do you want to go first or happy for me to go first? You take it away. You got a podcast called Cloud Security. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I've literally got a podcast called Cloud Security Podcast. <laughs> I can definitely give it a stab first. I would probably say if you were to ask this question seven years ago then the only cloud that existed, or maybe even actually 10 years ago, the only cloud that existed was just public cloud, and that was Amazon Web Service. Now you have offerings from Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, but a lot of people would know these terms only if they work in the enterprise space or they work in like a tech space. But normal people also use, and when I say normal people, that's a non-technical people also use a lot of cloud around them. Um, like usually people would say, if people use facebook.com or linkedin.com or, I mean, we're on a website right now, they consider this to be cloud as well. But I think the easiest way to explain this is that majority times when people talk about cloud, they're primarily referring to say, I'm an entrepreneur or I run a business and I want to have servers hosted somewhere. And uh, usually back in the day, it used to be, you would have to pay a service for a physical building to get access to machine and service. Nowadays, you just go to people like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google to hey, use one of their services. And now because we've matured so much in the last 10, 11, 12 years that instead of just asking for servers, now you're basically saying, hey, I don't want to care about the server. Why don't you take care of the server or container or whatever else you want to do it? I just want to build an application that my customers love. I just want to put that somewhere and you take care of the rest. So now we have that kind of a, which people call platform as a service as well as an offering for, for many people. So it depends on who you talk to, but primarily those three buckets where most of us are already using something like a software as a service with Facebook, LinkedIn, or any website that you log in and use for anything that you want to do. That's technically classified as cloud, but I would not put them as cloud. These days, people are very clear in terms of Cloud primarily being things like, hey, I want to build an application. I want infrastructure to be hosted somewhere. And that hosting provider, in the simplest way possible, is either a public cloud or a private cloud. But if you're going public cloud, which basically public with the word mean anyone on the internet can access these, not just you. Private just means you, to Sean, what you called out, it's in my data center. I've got a copy of it. But it may or may not hook onto something on the internet as well. So. That's my simple explanation. It can go into a lot more detail, but um, that's kind of now how I explain that word to people. I like it. I, I, I don't think I could add too much there, Sean, other than I, I look at cloud as if I can't physically walk over and put my hands on a server or I need to connect to a specific network in order to access something, then it's probably a cloud-based service. Uh, Ashisha did a great summary of kind of what today's day and age is. It's mostly people building applications in a data center that they don't own uh, somewhere else in the world. Yeah. And, and that's where I wanted to ask you, Taylor, is how much do you think is cloud being used to build stuff versus hosting or, or buying a service or paying, paying for a service uh, that somebody's built for you already? And of course, there's yeah. a wide range between my my Office 365 mail that I just pay for every month for or to Google whatever it is, versus I'm paying for some hosting and some databases and some containers and and whatever. How much is 
is it that because we often hear the, the the phrase or the idea that every company is a technology company, which leads me to believe everybody's building something for something. How how true is it? I I think I am a little biased because of the uh, industry that I I work in with startups, but I would say that um, for the most part, everybody and their mother is is building applications these days, at least in the startup community. So now more than ever, if you you've got startups that are building their SaaS platforms and putting it in in something like AWS or Azure GCP, and they're they're still responsible for their application layer, their database layer, their OS layer, and their network layer, and then putting physical and environmental uh, on, on the plates of their, as a shared responsibility model for their, uh, cloud service providers. But then there's also people that are adopting, like Ashish said, the, the platform as a service, which is like, I only have to manage an application. That's all I'm in charge of. I just develop a great application and a vendor takes care of everything else for me. There's a huge boon of that type of business model happening, um, now more than ever before. However, to the, um, regular person like uh, Ashish had mentioned before, like non-technical people, most people are using uh, applications that are third party. So uh, everybody that is an employee, like we, we use 10 times more applications than we develop for sure. A uh, hundred times, uh, 10 times isn't even enough, but we are all using a tremendous amount of third party SaaS applications just to get by in our work lives, in our personal lives. Ashish gave a couple great examples like Facebook, that's a SaaS uh, platform. Like there are, uh, the, the whole world seems to run on SaaS these days. So Ashish, your, your conversations that you have on your podcast, um, tell us a little bit about the podcast. Who is it for? Uh, what, what are you trying to help them with? Or are you just, are you trying to help them? Sure. So I guess what, what, what are you, what are you talking about there? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question because I think we've been talking about, funny enough, actually, maybe I should rewind the clock a bit. So the reason I started this was at the start of the pandemic and uh, Melbourne as a city was going into lockdown. We were not allowed to go beyond three miles from our house. So, well, the, it was started by uh, people reaching out to others and saying, hey, hope you're okay. I want to talk about cloud, cloud security to other people. And it got to a point where we just started saying, hey, we should probably record this into a podcast instead of just me reaching out to people because I'm just missing people, meeting people in person. And um, initial conversation was primarily with CISOs who were trying to get into the whole cloud journey, what that's like, and what are some of the challenges they would face. As we kind of matured and as, started, as possibly the demand started growing and people wanted me to do more episodes, um, we started more talking about cloud security engineering, cloud security architecture. Basically, imagine, and this is worthwhile calling out, that at the start of the pandemic, people didn't believe cloud security was a field. They just thought, yeah, cloud security, cyber security, same thing, right? Why do I, why do I have it as a separate thing? But now it feels like, I mean, four years into it, people just feel that, oh yeah, cloud security, it was always there. It should have always been there. Um, so now I would probably say we try and educate the current generation of cloud security people who are already in the field. They get to learn from like the CISO of LinkedIn, they like to be CISO of Siemens or uh, CISO of Warner Brothers Discovery, they're, going, they're coming and talking about things like, hey, this is why we're moving into cloud. This is how we secure it. This is what these are, what are the challenges are that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. We also cater for the, because I come from a pen testing, uh, at least, well, I want to say wannabe pen testing background because I started working on it, but didn't really think I had the, uh, I wasn't cut out for it. 
So I do have an offensive side of cloud security because there's a lot of vulnerabilities being discovered in the cloud space by researchers. And then there is the whole leadership angle where it's more for tech leaders and engineers who are trying to build applications in cloud. So we cater for everyone who's in the cloud security space. And I want to call out cloud security specifically because when I started, just basically me talking to CISOs about what they're doing about cloud security. But these days, there are specific roles there are cloud security engineers, cloud security architects, platform engineers. There's so many more roles in this. It's basically, I think someone said this, uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. That's pretty much how big cloud security has become as a topic and area that people are focusing on. Yeah, it's like reliability and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Can, like you can put everything can, in can the platform engineering. In there, as well. It's not necessarily security, but I don't know. Yeah, 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 no, they're, they're all just... coming into it. Like even DevSecOps is becoming part of this as, as well. Right. Like people like Amazon on their conference uh, a couple of months ago at Reinforce, uh, sorry, not Reinforce, Reinvent as well, they called out that you need a security champions program, which is a DevSecOps concept. Now, even Amazon is coming out and saying it, Azure is saying it. So it's becoming a thing of its own. Um, and I think the prediction is it might just take over the word cybersecurity when everything moves into cloud. But hey, hopefully I'm alive to see that. So one of the, oh boy, so many places to go here. Um, just from a, so you talked about the journey. Uh, CISO is doing a journey from from on-premise to, uh, to some cloud in some fashion. Um, either driven by trying to find some efficiencies or some cost savings, or that's the only way they can, they can transform some part of the business or actually create a new, new business. Um, I don't know if he, either you have any thoughts on the, the, the necessity to train differently and learn differently um, just from a, the cloud looks different than on-premises, right? Different systems yeah, and yeah. configured differently and, and a firewall and, and the cloud looks different than on-premises and endpoints. And I don't know. So you might be able to, I'm talking, I'm going back to the, the journey you might be able to lift and shift systems on-prem to the cloud, but not necessarily your people and their, their understanding how how the systems yeah. work when they when they land there. So, how much of that is part of what you guys are involved with um, to really help? Uh, yeah, get get a handle on what what needs to be secured and, and the better way to do that. I think Taylor does a good job of the, the other side, so I'll let Taylor go first. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, security is just one of those weird industries where even the folks that have been in the industry for a while have had to reinvent themselves because it has changed and has essentially turned itself in, into an entirely new industry. So you've got security professionals, Sean, you have a heck of a background, right? And cloud wasn't always a thing, but now cloud is everywhere and, and it, most company opportunities right now are at least in some form or fashion having security professionals interact with uh, cloud applications uh, or cloud infrastructure. And so because of that, um, there is a tremendous need for people that have very specific cloud security knowledge. Um, man, every time I say that, it's just like giving Ashish a shout out on the podcast here. Uh, the, it's just a great name, Ashish. Um, so the the thing that we're seeing the most is that folks are that are entering into the security industry right now are coming from programs that have been created years ago and are even themselves a little bit outdated um, comparatively to where the market is at right now simply because of how fast it's turning over so today in my world 
we have a tremendous amount of need for uh, folks that can very specifically go into AWS or Azure or GCP and configure a secure cloud environment. The reality is with all of these breaches, most of them are happening because of the same reasons, right? It's cloud misconfigurations, it's having inappropriate access somewhere, um, and it's it's endpoints and and slash human error. I combine those two sort uh, because it's your your people uh, doing silly things. And so people just now in today's society and going into security for the first time need to focus on those fundamental areas. And surprisingly, because uh, back to Ashish's comment about cloud security being a mile wide, like a lot of people are focusing on these very niche areas, these niche problem areas, and there's just not enough need there comparatively to the critical areas I mentioned. It's pretty awesome. I think I'll, I'll probably add a couple more things as well, because I think he touched on something really interesting in the space of uh, misconfiguration others. It's not really a complicated zero day attack that people are facing in, in, in the cloud world. I mean, it's basically, People like all three of us is just making sure the life, the lights can be turned on and hopefully the owner gets electrocuted when they turn on the lights. Basically, that's kind of what we're trying to prevent over here. And um, the other challenge over here, when I talk to a lot of enterprise, is the fact that, you know how, Sean, you kind of mentioned people do lift and shift. The other part is also where some people in the organization, and I've been a victim of this in the past, where they just have a credit card with a massive, uh, I guess, credit line, for lack of a better word. Uh, it could be a bank, it could be a fintech, whatever the company may be. An individual, a director may have access to a lot of funds. They can just start their own. Uh, because security said, hey, we should all go for one cloud provider. Let's just start, you know, muddy the water and have multiple cloud providers. But you know what? I have my, I've got my credit card. I don't like Ashish. I'm just going to go and sign up for GCP. Even though he says AWS is what the cloud should be for everyone. And that adds a layer of complexity as well. Like, so imagine if all of three of us were, and Taylor's a CISO, and all of us work with Taylor. Now, he's been going, hey, AWS, uh, this is kind of what we are. We are skill set, it's AWS. Amazon Web Services, basically, that's what we should be focusing on. Telling, yelling into the top of his voice of the business. But somewhere down the line, someone just pulls a credit card and goes, I'm just going to go GCP. Now, when they go into production, starts making money, suddenly they go to Taylor and, hey, Taylor, by the way, you know how you said don't use another cloud? I ended up actually using it and it just works out really well. Now the business wants to keep this. And can you help me secure it? Like that's a very common conversation these days still. And then people, Sean and me, who are probably team members of Taylor, we've only known AWS for our entire lives. Now, how do we train ourselves in GCP or whatever other new cloud that comes in? Like nowadays, even Oracle and IBM are coming up in conversation. So when does this stop? I don't know. Like earlier, I was just happy to have like one of those MCSC certificates, Microsoft Certified Software Engineer or whatever the certificate used to be. You get a job and everyone's using Microsoft. But now it's like, oh, I need to know AWS, Microsoft, Google Cloud, Oracle Cloud, IBM Cloud. And on top of it, I need to know SaaS services as well. I, I definitely feel it's a lot more complicated these days than what it used to be. So uh, as much as of a challenge it is for the the team and the business to move from on-premise to the cloud space the team skill is uh, it's a whole different challenge and there's not much like um, we're running a cloud bootcamp a free cloud bootcamp at the moment and we started the whole cloud security bootcamp just so many people have put hours into just thinking about how do i get into this cloud security field because there's no content there's there's nothing which trains them for hey how do i do cloud security in aws no one knows. So hopefully I can make a dent into it at the bootcamp we're running, but uh, it's definitely 
something that is a challenge. I'm glad you called it out as well, Sean. So people need to be aware that, yeah, it's great to go into cloud, but please don't go into multiple cloud if you can help it. But unfortunately, many people have credit cards. <laughs> and I want Taylor. I want. I want to. I'm. I'm thrilled and, and intrigued by uh, your your role at, at Deloitte because uh, I'm sure you've seen tons of stuff. And I don't know. I mean, the, the, yes, the credit card, right? But it's it goes beyond that. When when we were setting up an infrastructure on premises, it had to go through procurement. And there was probably some risk assessment, uh, third-party yeah. risk assessment, perhaps. And you kind of fit it into an environment that, that, that existed, right? Now, um, HR can spin up a cloud. Marketing can spin up a cloud. Sales can spin up a cloud. Legal can spin up a cloud. They can buy stuff. They can build stuff. Um, and maybe it's connected at some point. Maybe not. Uh, and... Some of them may be, well, well, different providers, right? Different services, different data sets, multiple data sets. Uh, how, how did some of your, oh, their clients, but how, how are the companies that you were engaged with? How did, uh, how did they get a handle on, on some of that? Is there an overarching program or, or did you insert yourself into the different departments? Uh, how, how do, or how do you suggest we can we do that? If you didn't, yeah. Didn't Spoiler alert: uh, the the bigger <laughs> companies don't have it figured out either. So uh, that I I think I'm I think I'm far enough out of Deloitte uh, so they can't come after me for making that statement. But uh, no, I uh, in all seriousness, like even the enterprises. I mean, even 35% of the Fortune 500. I can't remember if it's 35% don't have a CISO or do have a CISO. But either way, that's awful. Of just the Fortune 500, you don't have a lot of ownership of security and you there are some great tools out there that you can really get your arms wrapped around shadow it which is what you're talking about sean of having these unknowns in your environment that the it team or the leadership team or the uh, finance team don't know about because it's easier than ever to go sign up for a new service there are some great tools out there but the problem is is that uh people are still we're still in this stage where at least in the smb market People aren't taking security seriously enough. It's like uh, it, it, it's like speed limits, right? Until they get pulled over, they're gonna keep driving over the speed limit. They're not gonna honor it. They're not gonna put on their seatbelt until something traumatic happens. Like that is the that's human nature, and we've been doing it forever. And so now you're starting to see in the U.S. and beyond regulations coming out, and and hopefully motivating people to invest a little bit more in, in security. But for the most part, even though there are great solutions to combat the perfect problem that you just outlined people don't give a darn uh, right now for the most part uh, because uh, security just still isn't prevalent enough, even in the biggest of uh, organizations. And I know I just made like a huge blanket statement, but that is my two cents and based on what I see for my day-to-day -day job. Ashish? Uh, I definitely feel security has to play a, well, I'm gonna rephrase this in a certain way. And I think, uh, I don't know how many people would like it, Security needs to be okay to let go of control. I think that's kind of where we're going with in the future because we would never be enough in any organization to solve the problem. And I think Taylor kind of mentioned it accurately. There would always be people who would want to go over speed limit and there would always be people who would want to bend the rules just enough so that they can push an application into live so they can prove that their value in the company is worth it. 
So um, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of DevSecOps and the whole security champions program. And uh, when I mentioned earlier where AWS and Amazon kind of announced it on the stage, I kind of I loved it because ultimately, I think the, there's a stat around the number of developers that would exist. I think 20 million or 30 million developers by 2022 or something. Insane. And this, let's just say the number of security people were not close to it at all. So like the, the, the problem maybe way bigger than for us security people just to uh, try and solve it by ourselves. Uh, it, there is definitely a future where if we work with them, and I, I definitely feel it's, bad, it's worth it to spend some time for people who may be listening into this to just to uh, change the culture of security in their organization. And from a perspective of, hey, us, us being the guide of, hey, this is a risk, we should probably address it to, hey, we should work together because tomorrow Oracle Cloud is coming in and I clearly would not have any clue how Oracle Cloud works, but you're probably spending your day in, day out on it. So how about we work together in solving this new thing that is there? And it's, it's worked. I, I would probably say there are quite a few examples. Like, I mean, we've, I've done it, but I know so many other people in the industry who openly talk about the fact that um, security obviously need to evolve into this um, like collaborative effort where I, if you want to win. I mean, otherwise, to what, what Taylor mentioned, there is no CISO in most companies, so no one knows what to do. Maybe there are developers who feel responsible for security or whenever there's like a, a, like a speed ticket that's going to come in, hey, we should not have done that or whatever uh, maybe jeopardizes their existence. Suddenly people want to think about security. So my stand over there is a lot more around the fact that, yeah, I think it's a lot more collaborative culture that kind of leads to a win for security. And uh, yeah, just to add on to what Taylor said, but I think that's pretty much where I'm coming from, where I see a lot of people initially starting off with, I would get the best tool in the, co in the company or best tool to solve my problem. You get a lot of detection, you get a lot of alerts, but then you find out, actually, I can't solve any of these. I need to talk to a developer or I need to talk to an engineering person to solve these. So we're still going to them either way. It's like we can go either now or you can go much later. The choice is yours. Well, let's let's go to what what might be the topic that we don't move off of now, um, and I'll I'll just frame it with the technology. So on on the show, I often end up at a point where I ask the guest the question about, well, if you don't do it a certain way in the beginning, you eliminate the or you eliminate or reduce the exposure, reduce the risk, and Therefore, you don't have to spend as much money securing things and, and plugging holes and fixing problems because you didn't get it all secure because 100% security is not possible. So don't set up that server that way. Don't install that app that way. Don't expose that port that way. Don't, don't leave an open uh, a container open that way, whatever it is. Um, so, and to your point, security is not going to be able to solve all of those problems, especially as everything just blows out of the water scale-wise and, and more yeah. cloud comes and more, 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 and more. So security champions, I like that concept as well. It's still security. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I believe there has to be a role of technology done in a certain way. And we can maybe, maybe look at Microsoft and some of the work they've done Neuro OS to kind of shore shore up the operating system a bit. Again, not perfect, but this idea that technology could be developed and architected and deployed in a way that's more secure 
from the get-go, so you're not trying to insert security in, in the mix too far down the line is important. So here's here's where it gets fun. Chat GPT. That's that is a technology, but I don't know where where it fits in. Is it to your to your love, uh, Sheesh? Is it to help with pen testing <laughs> the cloud? Can you use it to help pen test the cloud? Can you use it? I know it it can create code. So can we can we use it to uh, white box the uh, white box the code before it gets built? Can can we help developers learn how to code better as they're coding with it? Um, I don't know. I'm think, just going to throw that out there. What are, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think ChatGPT is an interesting one because um, for a couple of reasons. Um, I did a video recently on the whole uh, concept of whether you can, it could be a great learning tool because I was hearing a lot of people talk about, hey, I was spending hours trying to correct this partial script. I uploaded it to ChatGPT and it found exactly where the problem was. Like that was a very common uh, phrase that I was hearing a lot of engineering folks talk about. Developers used, were using it to debug their code, which they could not figure out where the line was. And at the same time, a lot of people were using it to learn. Like, so the video that I made on our YouTube channel for Cloud Security Podcast was around the whole concept of, can I use chat GPT to say prepare for interviews for cloud security? It gave me questions, which I technically would have asked this question. So it worked from that perspective. The other one I used it was I tried creating resources in AWS. I pretended to be a cloud security engineer day one. I have no idea what I'm doing. Hey, I, I've been told I need to create an infrastructure for this web application. How do I do this? Can I do this automation? Blah, blah, blah. It gave me all the information. Now, the, the, the flip side, if you kind of go a bit more deeper into how ChatGPT works, every time you upload information, it's being uploaded to their server. And if you are someone who's basically doing what we have been doing for years on stackoverflow.com, which is just copying, copy pasting our actual code with a username password into chat GPT, uh, that's what probably worries me for, we don't even like, oh yeah, it's amazing. It's doing solving a lot of problems, but how many people are desanitizing the data? Because clearly people heard chat GPT is, is the jam. So they basically have been uploading data. And the funny thing is, it, I, my understanding is the way it works is that the way it understands context is that if you start a session, the first question that I asked all the way up to my most recent question, all of that is sent collectively as one, I guess, one, one box or one package back to ChatGPT. Every time I ask a question, it just adds on to the same package. So it, that's how it knows the context of it. The, now, these are great from implementation, people learning. Uh, GitHub tried this something concept called GitHub Copilot, which is again, to help developers code better. And the problem with ChatGPT or GitHub Copilot, at least and as, as cynical as it may sound, it is learning of the data that they have and who's gone through the data from GitHub or you know, ChatGPT to know if it's actually a secure code. And am I teaching my future developers the right way to do code as well? Or am I just sharing them the same problem that I had in Stack Overflow where multiple people came up with a suggestion one of them worked, which just happened to be a non-secure solution. And ChatGPT said, hey, use this. Because if you look at the, uh, the you kind of mentioned the whole uh, configuration, misconfiguration that Taylor mentioned before, where, hey, S3 bucket is open to the internet. If you look at the code that is being created by ChatGPT for, uh, for developing resources in AWS, that sometimes has port open as well. And if the person doesn't know what that is, they're just going to copy paste that same thing onto their AWS or Azure, and that'll be the end of it. I'm sure Taylor, you're seeing some few of these as well at your end. 
Absolutely. I, I think that for the most part, the whole uh, fear mongering around chat GPT is going to replace all our jobs. Like, have we not learned from history like 6,000 times that new technology creates new opportunities? And of course, there's going to be people that are impacted. But I think the biggest thing that will happen with ChatGPT, um, both in security and beyond, is it's going to cut through a lot of the BS that people have been putting out on the internet historically. Like ChatGPT can do a lot of basic functions. So the the thing that it cannot replace is creativity, can't, can't replace uh, that that strategic element that goes into security for certain, uh, like, just like what Ashish was talking about. Like, it's not going to be able to pick up on a lot of even basic things that require uh, something of any sort of creativity. Um, and so security, a lot of it is strategy and context and, and awareness. Um, and none of those things have ever been uh, executed well even in all of the ai movies that come out so um it's i think we're okay for right now but with chat gpt <laughs> specifically it is cool to see like it's generating security policies for example it's it's uh developing or reviewing code um i've seen it do some great uh, uh blog post ideas it's just the the goobers that take it and just post it on the internet it, they don't use it for for inspiration they use it to write their blogs for them that's the stuff that's uh that's really frustrating right now in the in the security community oh i've got an interesting one for you taylor like yeah. do you reckon it can be used for compliance like you know how a compliance activity a lot of them at least nowadays people are trying to give them uh, sorry sean didn't want to jump on it but i just thought a thought maybe a good interesting conversation but um you know, so, because I'm seeing the engineering side, the security side, and all the other side as well, do you feel like compliance can also to be? Because you know, it literally, if you know FedRAMP or you know ISO twenty seven thousand one or SOC two, they're all like, and I, I'm humbly saying it, it's just a checklist that people have to compare. Nowadays, people try and say, "Hey, I've got this cloud formation template from AWS." Is it compliant to SOC 2? Can we, I don't know, has anyone done experiments around compliance in chat GPT if it can do security compliance? I haven't seen it yet, but it is absolutely something that I've been keeping my eye on. Uh, I think that compliance, a lot of it is so standardized that you could yeah. definitely figure out in, in certain use cases how to create automated controls from chat GPT, for example, or um, even I, I see external auditors being potentially impacted because a lot of the work that they have to do in checking evidence is pretty rudimentary. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. That's Sorry, like, that's <laughs> well, we, um, my co-founder Marco and I, uh, we have another show called audio signals where we just go wacky on stuff. Right. And um, I mean, it, we end up either utopian or dystopian. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, 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 the scope of the conversations. And I often, when I, when I look at automation and, and technology, I, I find that my brain leads me to a world of lowest common denominator. And I don't know, every, almost all those conversations, even though I'm, I feel I'm optimistic in the conversation, I still come up with this, this idea that we're going to end up with, data that drives decisions, that drives culture, that drives society to a low, lowest common denominator. But now having interacted with ChatGPT, I feel that perhaps there's a way where one didn't know something. It's much easier 
to find out about that something or to, to your point, Taylor, to be inspired, maybe not, maybe not the cheating, the, the cheating and, and, and cutting corners is the low mm -hmm. common denominator story for me, but to be inspired, to learn something new and take that and build upon it to me actually raises the bar uh, yep. more to a higher watermark for, for everybody, perhaps horse technology. It's, it's, how it's used right it can be used for good or, or nefarious reasons but um i don't know any, any thoughts on the, the high watermark versus low common denominator i definitely take the side of hope and and think that there's a lot of uh really cool things that you can do with chat gpt to optimize how you learn and how you grow as a professional um, I do worry that we will go in the direction like we have with cell phones where we're essentially walking cyborgs where I can't remember my own birthday, let alone my immediate family members half the time uh, anymore because you get so reliant on technology and, and oh, I can just go Google that. And, uh, and now we're going into this era of I can just go hit chat GPT with this. Um, I hope that it doesn't make us increasingly more reliant and less uh, I guess less of, of human beings. Uh, and, and I know that that's it. We're going like really stoic here now. So, uh, I don't want to go too far down the, uh, the rabbit hole, but, um, that is one worry I have with chat GPT in general, but especially in the security community, I, I hope it doesn't incite laziness. I think, um, I'll probably say I've got three words for this and I've always felt that these three words probably have passed on from every new technology that's come through, which is trust, but verify. And, I think ChatGPT is the same as well. You can trust it to at least do it, do the right thing. Millions of people are using it. And uh, if you, I don't know if you believe the news, but the OpenAI, the, the company that created ChatGPT, the founder is a doomsday prepper as well, but he believes AI is going to take over. So that's the kind of person who created the AI in the first place. But the, the hope in this all context, and I, I definitely believe people should not, walk away from new technology with a cynical view that, hey, this would not help me. They should definitely try and go down the path of using anything and everything new that comes in just because just by the nature of it, whether you like it or not, your close family members, your, uh, your best friend, people around you would start using it. And then you become the guy with the Nokia 6600 or whatever that phone used to be, whereas everyone else is an iPhone. And how long are you going to be on that Nokia 6600 or whatever that model used to be that used to be like a brick uh, until you go, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go for an iPhone now. So uh, it's going to happen. All of us, are, have, we have stopped going on uh, horse carts or whatever that, uh, the carriages, I guess. Now we all drive cars. So we have all evolved. It's just a matter of time. I'm sure people were, when people were, oh, actually the hilarious thing was I was reading somewhere when the first car was invented, all the horse carriage folks basically said, oh, so polluted. There's pollution everywhere. Why would you go for it? But ignore the fact that the horse is shitting everywhere. That's different. Uh, but it's okay to have air pollution. Uh, but there would always be resistance. That's kind of where I feel, I keep going back to trust, but verify that, hey, if it goes really bad, humans uh, would, someone somewhere would definitely protest and someone would definitely change the way the rules of the, industry work like nowadays how many cars you see have air i mean air pollution problem not that many it takes time it doesn't happen instantly but trustpad verifies my uh, motto for that very true well let's let's talk about trust i know we're we're coming up uh on the toward the end here but um one of the points you you 
put in in the notes as we were preparing was uh, building respect. And I just look back um, on security over time, and it, we never really had all the answers, right? And sometimes you were throwing around the FCSE. I, I had a CNE. I was all in on NetWare, baby, right back in the day. <laughs> um, so there were things we did to one learn and to demonstrate that we did learn something and, and hopefully from that gain some credibility. But to me, the most important of, of all of that was the critical thinking and the problem solving and looking at something we hadn't seen before, understanding enough about how it works to understand how it might be uh, misused or not work as it's intended and find ways to reduce exposure and minimize the risk. So, how let's bring it back to cloud security we can we can keep chat gpt in there if you want to but how do we maintain that level of critical thinking and problem solving in a way that we also maintain uh, a level of respect and especially if we if we move down the path of of uh, security champions where we're now relying on others who don't have the same history and skills uh, and learnings as broadly as perhaps some of the, the old codgers like me have in, in this space. Yeah. I think uh, one thing that is never going to change and may, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I think security would need to be comfortable to lose control of uh, maybe not everything because to what you called out specifically, developers were never trained to know how to secure a network how to develop a security architecture, how to develop the right way to code something in Java, whatever the language that they were using. So they were never trained for it. And I would say to a large extent, people still believe that that is not part of their role. Their role is to develop quality code so that you can build applications around it. So to bring respect into a conversation where you have to work primarily with others to either solve problems that you've identified or to do the right thing when they see a link from, hey, ChatGPT is solving other problems, you should upload your code there. Like making the right calls over there, I think it's, for me, it's culture. It, it definitely is culture and uh, not the culture that just the company is talking about, the culture that you create as a security team within an organization is what's gonna give you the respect. Um, that's just where I'm a big fan of Security Champions program because that definitely humbles you as a person where how much you don't know uh, you, I mean, at least for me personally, the first time I experienced it, I thought I knew everything about cybersecurity. And the moment someone threw a Java code at me because of, there was an alert that came in a secret injection, and I'm like, uh, I think I used to be a pen tester, but maybe not that much of a pen tester anymore. So can someone else help me explain what this is? So it definitely humbles you really quickly that to what you called out, how much you don't know. There's always a moment you would find that, oh my God, I have no idea, but I just need Sean to help me understand this. So collectively, we can make the right call. So for me, uh, it's culture that would breed respect in an organization for both security. And it's, it's a mutual thing as well. If you give them respect, they give you back respect as well. So uh, for me, uh, a, cultural or a culture of transparency and collaborativeness is kind of where it's not technology for me. It's definitely not technology. It's more the, the softer parts of the day-to-day. I think we're at a cool time in, in history where uh, people are using security for, for pretty much the, the first time to earn trust with their customers. And um, it's a really, really cool trend that I'm seeing 
a lot of, but now more than ever as a startup, for example, it could be some guy and his dog uh, selling to the likes of GE. Um, and we have these amazing opportunities to create companies essentially from our basement um, and go and sell to some of the biggest brands in the world. And because of that, there is this huge influx of security assessment questionnaires and security demands coming from customers. But at the end of the day, that's establishing trust between two parties. Yes, it's a legal contractual obligation as well, but uh, brand is very much dependent on your ability to earn the trust of your customers. And I, I look at that synonymously with, with respect, as you mentioned, Sean. So um, I think that uh, being able to paint that picture for your customers is still going to be a skill set that is extremely valuable. And we certainly have been working on our ways of how can we use security as a sales engine for our customers and not just do the fear, uncertainty, doubt approach. I think there's a, a tremendous amount of opportunity to be creative and apply a lot of those human elements that I mentioned before towards security as it relates to sales, combining security with business strategy. That's another huge thing. The NIST cybersecurity framework and secure controls framework and all of these, they weren't meant to be one size fits all. And that's yet how we've treated them. Uh, since inception. So um, being able to be a human that can go and take those things and really customize it for a specific IT environment and use it to grow the business. Those are like the areas that I'm really seeing people earning respect uh, on the security side as as uh, professionals that, that uh, deserve accolades. And then also um, between businesses and other businesses or businesses and the consumers that they sell to earning trust. Yeah. I love it. And as I hear both of you talking, I'm just thinking back over time. There's still a bit of it. Um, but I mean, kind of to the earlier point, we, we didn't have the answers. So we were kind of going through things as we knew uh, how to, at least how to solve a problem. <laughs> we figured that out. We didn't know all the answers to the problems. Um, but with that was un a lot of unknown and uncertainty that we couldn't, as security professionals, communicate to our peers in the business, right? And then on top of that, we had this uh, a bit of an ego that we'd, that we'd also hold on to where what we're doing is magic, right? Nobody else can do it because only we know how this stuff works in that way. And I think over time, that's kind of, to use the word soften, like, like you put it, Ashish, um, I think that's softened a bit. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, even with the likes of the, the Security Champions programs, um, we're, we're kind of laying to bear what we know a bit more, right? Yeah. And asking others to join us um, on this journey of, of securing things. And Great. so I, I think some of the stigma is leaving us a, a bit and, uh, and the trust is changing to be something different as well. 100%. 100%. I think uh, it's funny, I'm going to add something here because a lot of people think, oh, I can't do security. I normally talk about the fact that when people walk out of their doors, they make sure the doors are locked. That's physical security as well. Like a lot of us do security without calling it security. Uh, and it just said, we, some of us have the title for security, but everyone's doing it. It's just about pointing out, hey, you already are doing it. I'm just asking you to do the same thing that you do for your house to the code you create on the company laptop. That's pretty much it. I'm not asking anything more. If you do it, no, I'm not asking you to check your doors. You do it yourself. No one gave you any security awareness training for it. You just watched a lot of videos or whatever it may be. You just don't want to be in a situation where you're compromised. So I'm just asking the same thing. Yeah, 100%. I just wanted to add that in because a lot of people may look at that and go, oh, these three security people talking about security being important. <laughs> but the reality is everyone's already doing it. We just don't call it security. 
well said. Yep, excellent point. That's that's one of the reasons uh, Marco and I joined forces um, to to break out of security, talking to security. <laughs> now, we still have to because we're we're always learning, um, but we also try to talk to others as well, and hopefully talk talk to others listening to the show. And with that said, um, I want to thank everybody for listening or watching if you happen to catch the video version of this. And uh, Sheesh Taylor, it's been incredible. Um, yeah, I feel we could keep going. Maybe maybe if you like, you can come back and talk about something else. Maybe we didn't get into containers too much. Uh, maybe, yeah. I don't know, platform <laughs> engineering we could talk about, site reliability, and you know, the, pick, pick your favorite topic. But uh, if you guys have any resources you want to share um, that you think would help folks uh, keep learning after they after they enjoy this episode definitely uh, share those with us and by all means uh, connect with Taylor and, and Ashish and listen to the Cloud Security Podcast Thank you, thanks so much for having us Thank you so much for the opportunity Sean and thank you to the listeners for taking the time Absolutely. And stay tuned for more on uh, redefining cybersecurity here on ICASB Magazine. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.